Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this is the show where we build an entire campaign for you from scratch, and you can run it for your group starting tonight, free of charge. This season is all about the Fallout role-playing game, and while I'm sure you've got your rulebook by this point in the build, I also know we've picked up a lot of new listeners over the past couple of weeks, So if you need one of those books, you head over to your local game shop or bookstore, or if you happen to live in an area where you don't have either one of those handy, check out the Modiphius Entertainment website. That's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S dot net. Now, I wanted to take a moment to address something that I've been asked about multiple times over the course of this season, and that's why we've had so many episodes that have come in well under a half an hour. The reason for this is pretty simple. When I'm building, I like to go through a complete thought, which for me is a complete scenario, situation, what have you, and then stop once I've hit the end of it. Now, I'll grant you, I've ended several episodes on cliffhangers, and I typically do that because I'm not 100% sure how I want to resolve the situation, and I'd rather end on a cliffhanger than do something I'm not completely happy with. And truth be told, some of those episodes that are short on the build time will actually be pretty long on the play time. So even though it's a short episode, it's going to be a long game session. I I would bet on that. So hopefully I've answered that question. Let's go ahead and recap last week's build so that we can start building some new stuff for you to run this week. Last week, we brought our campaign back to the moment with the group deciding to use the exit tunnel to enter the Fox Theater and try to save Victor. After dealing with the security at the entrance, they entered, managed to get the hatch open, and got into the building. They immediately found out that they were surrounded by a lot of armed men about a level above them and noticed Victor chained to a chair in the middle of the room. The very recognizable voice of Jessica Denman pointed out that she'd left them alone as promised until they decided to get involved. But since they did, all bets were off and two of her men shot Victor to kick off the fight. The group managed to grab Victor and fight their way out, but they had a batch of men close on their heels as they headed for the Symphony Hall to find refuge. Mr. Lee's hired hands dealt with the oncoming men long enough to get them inside, and Victor was provided surgical assistance. Lee met with the group, noted that Jessica Denman getting involved was going to mean trouble, and sent his men out to deal with the threat at the Fox Theater. His assistant led the group to a storage area so they could get their promised power armor, then offered them a spot to rest. After some time to talk through everything that had happened, they were informed that Victor was awake, alert, and wanting to speak with them. We ended the build with Victor noting that they were in serious trouble, but that they needed to find Mackenzie Cook first. So we're going to pick up this week right after Victor's statement. With the group wondering, and probably asking why, Victor's going to take a moment to gain a bit more energy, then he continues. When Zane and her group took me, I overheard her say something about using me to draw you in than using you to draw Cook out. I do not know what their issue with her is, but I think we were all supposed to be bait for their little game. He turns to the side and nods at someone behind the group. When they turn to look, they notice that Mr. Lee has come into the room. He's still got the sword, but he's taken off the armor. Lee nods to Victor in kind, and Victor turns back to the group. Mr. Lee has been kind enough to work his connections to see if anyone has seen Cook in the past couple of days, and the best we can figure out is she disappeared shortly before I was taken, so I would suggest checking out her office first. Maybe we will get lucky and find a clue or two. He again pauses for a moment to gather himself before he finishes. 
Bruno will have relocated our operations to my home, which is in the upper deck of the outfield. He is authorized to provide you with whatever assistance he can to help you along the way. Mr. Lee has also agreed to have his people continue pounding the pavement to see if we can find anything else. That being said, do whatever you have to do to find Mackenzie Cook. And by anything, I mean anything. Once you have found her, bring her back here. We need to know why the Brotherhood wants her so badly, and I have a sneaking suspicion there is more to her than we've been led to believe. Now, it's obvious Victor's used all the energy he had to speak to the group, and he falls asleep before the group can ask any questions. Lee gestures to the group to indicate they should follow him out, and once they're clear of the door, he lets them know that my doors will be open to you at any time, day or night. So will my medical staff. So do not hesitate to come here if you need to. Beyond that, all I can offer you is intelligence. He pauses for a moment, then adds, I know that for the next dozen blocks or so, my people have managed to clear out any trouble. Beyond that, I can't guarantee anything. So if you decide to head to Diamond Pass, keep your heads on a swivel. He wishes the group luck, then heads for his office. That leaves the group to make a decision. Head to Diamond Pass to talk to Bruno, head for their base to re-equip and gather themselves privately, or head to Mackenzie Cook's office to look for clues. Let's lay each of those out, especially since there are some parts of the first two that help feed into the third part, and we'll have to work them in if the group doesn't do either of the first two. The trip to Diamond Pass is going to be brutal. Once they get about a dozen blocks out, they're going to find themselves jumped four different times by groups of Garson-clad individuals. Brotherhood of Steel Knight stats from page 383 and use a number equal to the number of group members. Space them out a bit so that the group has a moment or two between them to catch their breath and use stim packs and such. The idea here is not to kill the group, but if by chance all the group members would fall unconscious, go unconscious... They'll be captured, and we'll cover that later on. Could also be a situation where a couple fall and the rest of the group needs to run and they can't take them with them. Same idea. We might cover that this week. Probably not. Probably going to be next week. Just kind of depends on how the rest of this build goes. And anyway, the security in front of Diamond Pass is also larger and more heavily armed and armored than usual. There are six guards on the entrance, and they're in full combat gear with laser rifles and pistols. They give the group the nod as they approach, and if they're asked, they'll note that Bruno suggested that we suit up since we have no idea what's going on around here and those Brotherhood schmucks might be back. Let's never mind the fact that these barely trained security guards don't stand a chance against the well-trained, better-equipped Brotherhood of Steel, but you know what? There is something to be said for that can-do attitude. The group's never been in Victor's house before, and they're probably surprised to know that he has one. But they follow Victor's basic directions to the upper deck, and while they're figuring out which of the four large homes up there are his, Bruno makes his presence known and directs them to a house on the right field side of the deck. Now, Victor's house doesn't look anything like his office did. The furniture's basic, but it is solid and it looks good. He's got a couple of couches and a large chair. He's got a kitchen table and chairs, though his kitchen is basically a wood-burning stove with a cast iron pot on it. Bruno will not let the group get any further back, but he will offer them seats and beverages. Now, being a robot, it's pretty much impossible to read his emotions, but since they've known Bruno as long as they have at this point, they can figure out he's not nearly as manic and stressed as he was the last time they saw him. And he wastes no time bringing the group up to speed. Mr. Lee got word to me about Mr. Victor, so I'm feeling pretty good about things. We're working to rebuild the third base saloon, so with any luck, we'll at least have the ground floor back up and running within the week. 
Our contacts have been taking the city apart looking for the Brotherhood of Steel members, but we can't come up with anything to use. He gives a moment for that to sink in before he moves on. Mr. Victor added programming that authorizes me to provide you with as much support as we can reasonably give to you in the mission. So if there's something that you need that we can provide, I will, of course, do so. Now, that being said, it's not like the group can open the book and ask for anything and get it. No big guns, no mini nukes, no rocket launchers. Yeah, I know I gave some of that stuff to my group. Trust me, you don't want to do that. It's going to completely change the landscape of what you're running. At least it will if you don't have a specific plan in mind to either take it away from them or neutralize it. Again, trust me. Anyway, the basic idea here is to get them larger or more powerful weapons if they don't have them, more ammo if they need it, and caps to help buy what Bruno can't get them. That being said, he's only got a thousand caps available to help them with, so keep that in mind. Once they've handled their business with Bruno, they're off to head wherever they need to or want to go next. So that brings us to them heading for their base. Now, for my group, that means a trip to Laclede's Landing, so they're in line to head away from the pass. Your group might be set up somewhere else, so they'll have to head that way. I should also note that if they head to their base first, the encounters work the same way we set up for the trip to Diamond Pass. However, for my group, just going from the pass to their base, or frankly for your group too, just going from the pass to their base is not going to provoke any encounters. Immediately upon reaching the base, they find an envelope tacked to the door. It's got the same flowing script on it they've seen before. The letter itself is short. There's a Brotherhood of Steel airship coming. When it gets here, it would be in your best interest to not be in your base. It's been compromised. Now that's all the letter says, and if the group's been trusting the note so far, it should probably indicate to them that they need to move locations. However, my group tends to be a bit suspicious, so they might decide not to move. So this would be a good spot to take inventory of what the groups got in their base, and if they decide to not move and they leave all that stuff behind... They're going to lose it down the line. You know that. I don't know that. If they're not smart enough to figure it out, that's on them. If they do decide to move, you need to figure out where they're moving and what they're taking. Needless to say, they've got just about enough time to get two trips in if they're heading to the Symphony Hall and three if they're going to the pass. And you know what? We can get to that later on. Maybe this week, maybe next week. Kind of depends. Look, I know I'm saying that a lot this week, but again, I don't know how far we're going to get on this build, so I don't want to make a whole lot of promises. So instead of being able to gather their thoughts, they're going to need to move. But if they decide to ignore the note, they can take the time to work through everything they know. If they're doing this because they didn't want to do it at Mr. Lee's or they headed back here instead of staying at Mr. Lee's, go over what we laid out in last week's build. Logic would dictate they'll relocate to the pass and probably into that shack that Victor has that they were stashing the Brotherhood of Steel members in. Bruno will sign off on it and he'll post a couple of Mr. Gutsies on it to make sure nobody gets in there that shouldn't. So this means they'll either move the stuff or they won't. It's going to play out however it plays out later. That leaves the last thing to do on our list, which is checking out the office of one Mackenzie Cook. We do need to note the group might have stopped by here when they were trying to figure out what happened to Victor, but let's be real, they haven't been inside that office yet since she didn't answer. I'm sure they wouldn't have gone in. We'll be nice enough to not toss another encounter at them on the way here so they get to the office without incident. They're going to have to pick the lock on the door to get in, but it's not the world's most complicated lock set. I mean, it is a deadbolt and a knob, but it's perception plus lock pick difficulty two. Going inside, the office looks pretty much the same as it has every other time they've been in here. 
if they've been in here before. If they haven't, it's basically a desk, a loveseat style couch, a couple of file cabinets, and a bed for the dog. One can assume, since there's a short hallway off to the side, that her bedroom is in the back. If they look back there, they find a bed, which was made at some point and is still made, a small dresser, which has a few clothes in it, a dog bed, and a couple of pairs of boots on the floor. So they're going to be searching for clues of some sort to figure out what happened to Cook and where she went. We're not going to have the group roll. Instead, we're just going to insist they spend an hour or so searching, or longer if they intend to be neat and polite about it, not just toss the place. Eventually, they'll find a scrap of paper and a batch of papers in one of the drawers with the following scratched on it. Universal food market, large enough for our needs. It's written in the same script all of the notes they've recently gotten were written in. The Universal Food Market, for those not in the know, is about a half-hour walk or so from Diamond Pass headed south. That puts it at about a 45-minute to an hour walk from her office, and that's with no encounters. In our world, the Universal Food Market is contained inside a building that was once a Schnucks grocery store, for those of you who are familiar with that particular chain. It's located right next to Interstate 55 on the southbound side, and it's an absolute must-go-to for Asian groceries, vegetables, cuts of meat, and so forth. In other words, if you're looking to fix authentic Asian food, it's one of the best spots I've found to shop at. And I'll note they didn't pay me to say that, but I don't mind tossing them a free plug. I do like fixing Asian dishes, and their stuff is top-notch. Anyway, we're going to switch out the nationality of food sold here in the Fallout game, since Asian-themed foods might not have been the best of ideas pre-war due to the tensions between China and the U.S., We'll call it a European-themed grocer with a supply of foods you can't find anywhere else. Fill that out however you'd like, but I guess it's not really going to matter for us since it's been a couple hundred years since the bomb dropped, so the expiration date on all that food has long since passed. We're going to toss a couple of more encounters at them once they get past the Lemp Brewery. Two more groups of those Garson-clad individuals, same stats as we've been using. This time, we're going three more than the total number of group members. Again, not intended to take them out, but to try to drain some of their resources. Once they get to the market, they'll note it's almost still completely intact. The old glass windows in the front are long since gone, but a number of boards have been used to cover them up, and a new door has been put in place. Rolling up to that door, the first thing they notice is the complete lack of any sort of security measures in place. So if it's being used as some form of base, whomever is using it is certainly not concerned about people coming up on them. If they don't knock but instead try the door, they find it's unlocked. Again, this should probably concern the group a bit since they rarely, if ever, run into an unlocked door. Entering, they notice the reason for the lack of security. There's another structure built inside the building, and that structure has turrets of all kinds all over the place. I see somewhere in the area of two dozen of them spread out along the front of the smaller structure and around the inside of the larger building. As they enter, all of the turrets lock onto the group, but they don't fire. Instead, a very familiar-looking black puppy runs up on them, bouncing happily and looking for pets and treats. And they hear the voice of Mackenzie Cook coming from inside the smaller building. Oh good, you found the paper. Come on in. Entering, they realize the building is basically a large one-room home of some type, and it looks nothing like Cook's office. The bed's messy, there's papers all over the place, weapons are laid out all over the place, and some have ammo dropped clumsily around them. The dog bed off to one side is dirty, and plates of old food are strewn about. 
and Mackenzie Cook is sitting up against one of the walls, both legs bandaged heavily with the rest of her visible skin covered in cuts and laser burns. She's got a remote in her hand, and it's obvious it's the controller for the turrets. She sighs, smiles, and nods at the group. She motions for them to grab seats wherever they can and asks that anyone in power armor step back out of the inner building and get out of it. And yeah, she anticipates the group's first question. Your Brotherhood of Steel friends took a couple shots at me. I held my own and managed to ditch them. Didn't expect to run into Garson Tactical, though. They messed me up pretty bad. The details on this are that Zane and her team came by her office under the auspices of meeting with her to discuss business. During the meeting, they pulled weapons and insisted she come with them. She played along until they got outside and she locked the office up. She managed to get a few feet clear of them, then pulled a frag grenade, dropped it at them, and hauled tail away as quickly as possible. She managed to work her way around town until she was finally able to head south towards this hidey hole. Before she could get here, she ran into a couple of groups of Garson tactical personnel and they opened fire on her. Obviously, she didn't have any weapons, so she and the dog had no choice but to duck and run. She eventually got here, and she got to her Gatling laser and managed to scare them off. Since then, she's been in here trying to heal from the attacks and hoping the group would come looking for her. Insofar as the note, or more to the point, the notes, she has this to say. I told you, there's a lot more going on here than you know. And that's a story for later. That Brotherhood airship should be near the river at this point, and once it crosses, all of us are going to be on the top of their list. She does something the group doesn't anticipate, though. She smiles. So we need to get me healed and get to Alton to get the cavalry up and running. If the group has a suspicion of what's up, they're probably voicing it at this point. Otherwise, they're probably doing that, what, kind of thing. And I do think this is yet another great point to end a build on a cliffhanger. We'll pick up here next week, and what we get into then is seriously going to change the course of this campaign. If you figured it out, you know why. If not, it's really time to strap that helmet on, because it's going to start getting rough. In the meantime, check out our other podcast, Role Playing History. This week, we take a deep look at a new game system, EZD6. It is, as its name implies, a D6 system that's easy to run and easy to build on. Check out the episode and see if it's something you might want to try. Role-Playing History is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgeeandproductions.net. All Fallout role-playing game materials referenced on this show are the trademarked and copyrighted properties of Modifius Entertainment through their license with Bethesda Games and are utilized on this show for entertainment purposes only. To check out all the fine products produced by Modifius, head over to your friendly neighborhood game shop or check out their website, modiphius.net. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is a production of Bad GM Productions. We are all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or our website, BadGMProductions.net, to find out where you can find us. Next week, we change the face of our campaign for the rest of its run, so you are not going to want to miss it. That's next week, though. Until then, I'm the Bad GM Wayne Davis, and I'll see you at the game table.